in my life, I've had those milestone moments, those marker, those marker moments, I'd call them, if you know what I mean. And like I said in Esther, right now, we're going to see that. We're going to see like a milestone moment where things turn around. And when I think of turn around, I think of like the draw a line in the sand moment, an event that happened in your life that resulted in change. Things turned around like we're going to see. A couple examples for me so you can kind of get to know my life better and me a little better as well is one, meeting my wife. We talk about this often. And it's no real spicy, awesome story, but it was such a moment of turnaround and change. We were both ready. We were in a place we were in this position in our lives when we were just both ready. We say it all the time. We're like, you know, Donna was praying. She was praying that God would bring a man in her life. And boy, did he. You know what I mean? No, 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 no. Donna, Donna, and I'll say, Donna was praying that God would bring a man in her life. And that she was just ready. She was working her job. She was hanging with her friends. Just that, you know what I mean? That same old motion of just, there's got to this purpose. There's got to be more than this. And in the meantime, I'm doing the same thing. I'm, I'm working my job, coming home, hanging out with friends. Next morning, repeat, going back to work, hanging out with friends. I was just in a place, in a position where I was ready. I was ready for change. It was time for a turnaround. And God used that moment. I called her up where she was working. And that, that phone call brought us to where we are today. That event just turned things around. It was a huge, and it makes me think of Esther. How she's in a, she was in a position, she was in this place in her life where things were going to turn around. She was, in, she was there for a reason, and some things were taking place that God was going to use to turn life around. Another moment is my martial arts career. I might have shared that before, but I did martial arts a lot of my life, and I absolutely loved it. I was trained, felt like I had a, a training, a knowledge, um, some gifts and some skills there. Some of the opponents might not think it was such a skill or a gift that defeated me, but yeah, but I enjoyed it. I loved doing that. It was a sport for me. It was competition. I was competing. I was in the fight. Well, I had quit for a while. Very well trained, very skilled, loved what I do, loved what I did, but I quit. And there was a time off where I wasn't using that training. I wasn't using that skill. I wasn't doing what I loved to do, what, what I felt I was there for at that time. And then I got an invitation from my older brother to get back in, get back in the fight and compete again. And I did that. And it was at a whole nother level. I got to compete at a, at a state and national level. And it was like a whole nother, just so awesome that not only did I get in the fight again, but I got to do it at a whole nother level. Those two moments in my life were my milestone, two of my milestone moments, my marker moments. Can you think any in your life, a person, a time where you're like, oh yeah, as I look back, that's the easy one. This, this was a moment in my life where I, there was spiritual maturity. God used that person or that time, that promotion, that termination, whatever it may be, whatever, a milestone moment in your life. That sets us up well this morning for Esther because that's what we're doing. We're transitioning into some milestone marker moments that God is making a way and using to turn things around. So as we get moving and we set this scene a little bit, I'll catch us up, and last, last week we kind of did a history recap and brought us up to the book of Esther and the history of God's people, so I won't go through all that again, but kind of where Esther starts off in chapter 1 is, first, God's people, we're focusing on the ones that are still in Persia here in Esther. Some have returned from exile, and they're restoring and rebuilding the temple. 
This is focused in Persia. They have not re- uh, returned to the land. Well, this King Ahasuerus, also known as King Xerxes, is reigning. He's the king of Persia. And chapter 1 started with this big party that the king throws. And his wife won't do what he says. So they get rid of her, and a new queen is chosen, and it's Esther. She's chosen queen. Her identity is hidden at this time. She's a Jewish woman, and they don't know that at the time. But she's chosen queen. Well, her cousin Mordecai, Mordecai is a huge part. I love, I, the book is called Esther, and obviously Esther does amazing things. But, man, sometimes Mordecai gets missed in this. Mordecai is a big part of this. I mean, this guy, to get us up to where we're at, he, discussed, he was part of three bad plans, three plots to get us to where we're at. He, he, he's her cousin, and he has this position at the gate. Well, he hears of this bad plan, this plot, to kill the king, to get rid of the king. And he speaks up about it. He makes it known the king's life is saved because it's found out, it's discovered. Then he hears of this plot, this plan to, kill, to wipe out the Jews, to kill the Jews. Another bad plan. Speaks up about it. And then, he's part of the bad plans aimed at him. Haman wants to hang him. So Mordecai's part of all these bad plans and plots in this, in this book of Esther. And he calls out Esther that she needs to do something. Well, where we left off last week is there was one feast. There was this feast that Esther called. She said, I'll do it. If I perish, I perish. I'm going to do it. I'm going to speak to the king. Um... I would, they didn't want their people to be wiped out by the enemy. All the Jews killed, destroyed. So she's going she's gonna to confront the king with this. As much fear she may have, the bravery and curse, she's going to do it. So we have the one feast. And the king and Haman are there. And she says, if I find favor, let's do this again tomorrow. I'll have another feast and, and, and then I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what's up. So this is right in between those two. Why two feasts? We're about to find out why there's two feasts. So that's part of it. And then Mordecai here, same thing, right? In between, he's getting ready to get, he's going to hang the next day. A gallows is being built. By the way, 50 cubits, seven, roughly 75 feet tall in one day. That's, uh, that was some urgency behind that, to do that in one day, to hang this man by the enemy. So that's kind of where we're at right now. It's in between feasts and what's going to happen that next morning. And I'm going to start us off, we're going to read in, read chapter 6, and we'll kind of stop as we go, like we often do, and draw some points. Um, what a wonderful story this is, how, how powerful is God's Word, and we, we read it, we learn from it, and we also try to apply it in our lives, obviously, and we're going to try to do a little bit of all that this morning. So let's pick up in chapter 6, and I'll start reading. On that night, the king could not sleep, and he gave orders to bring the book of memorable deeds, the Chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found written how Mordecai had told about Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold and who had sought to lay hands on the king. And the king said, What honor or distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? The king's young men who attended him said nothing had been done for him. And the king said, Who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to speak to the king about having Mordecai hanged on the gallows they had prepared for him. And the king's young men told him, Haman is there standing in the court. And the king said, let him come in. So Haman came in, and the king said to him, what should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? And Haman said to himself, 
whom would the king delight to honor more than me? And Haman said to the king, For the man whom the king delights to honor, let royal robes be brought, which the king has worn, and the horse that the king has ridden, and on whose head a royal crown is set. And let the robes and the horse be handed over to the one of the king's most noble officials. Let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor, and let them lead him on the horse to the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then the king said to Haman, Hurry, take the robes and the horse, and as you have said, do so to Mordecai the Jew who sits at the king's gate. Leave out nothing that you have mentioned. So Haman took the robes and the horse, and he dressed Mordecai, and led him through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman hurried to his house, mourning and with his head covered. And Haman told his wife Zeresh and all his friends everything that had happened to him. Then his wise men and his wife Zeresh said to him, If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of the Jewish people, you will not overcome him, but will surely fall before him. So we're going to stop there for a moment. And boy, there is a lot there. First, let's focus on the king. The king can't sleep. Insomnia, right? He can't rest. And it sounds simple, he can't rest. Well, he can't rest because he's about to do what's best. It's going to lead to him remembering, and it's going to lead to a decision. I don't know what you do when you can't sleep. I don't know if you toss and turn, you lay there, you stare at the ceiling. I know a lot of when I can't sleep, that's when my mind tends to just go the most. Something that may be bugging me, restlessness. Well, the king can't sleep, so he has this book read to him, recordings of what had happened, the chronicles, and it allows him to remember to make a good decision. You can see there in verse 10, he says, do so to Mordecai. He makes the right choice, the good decision, because he can't sleep. Isn't that something? How when we can't sleep, sometimes things go through our mind. And where he's reading this book of records, I think of this book right here, the Bible, and how we have a book. We have a book and a lot, there's a lot of records in the Bible, recordings of what has happened, what God has done, and what God's going to do. And I think, uh, now I don't know how many of you, when you can't sleep, grab the Bible, but it would be something good to do if you can't sleep. But you read the Bible and we see a record of things and how amazing and mighty and powerful our God is. And that can bring such an amazing joy and peace and comfort to us. As we talk about the world we live in and what it's like, we draw from Scripture and we read God's Word and see how mighty and powerful He is and how everything that God says is here and will happen. And we can just have, regardless of what's going on, we can find so much comfort in that. But not only just reading it and remembering all that, don't the Bible, don't God's Word help you? Isn't that the way of life? the path to decision-making as well. God's word, the truth, tells us what we need to do, tells us how we obey. It's amazing. And then I, I, I point to Haman here. He just enters the outer court. I mean, talk about when it rains, it pours, and a time for a turnout, what's happening. He just enters. And not only does he just enter at the time that he needs to enter, but he's planning on having this conversation about hanging Mordecai when the king is... Focus on honoring Mordecai because there was no reward. It was recorded. Now Mordecai is going to start to be remembered and honored and rewarded. So that's kind of what's happening with Haman. And I love at the end, I have to point to this, but I got, and I want to read this verse one more time because boy, did God put this on my heart. It says, and it's the last verse, it's 13. It says, Zeresh, his wife, says to, him, says to Haman, if Mordecai before whom you have begun to fall is of the Jewish people, you will not overcome him. 
but will surely fall before him. A huge takeaway that you can take from this book of Esther. Huge takeaway. So if you get anything this morning, get this. God fulfills his promises. Think of the promises. And if you want to ask yourself, what part does Esther play in the Bible? Several, obviously. But what's a main part of Esther being in the Bible? Is it shows that God fulfills his promises. The promise of the seed. The promise to Abraham. And when I say promise to Abraham, a simple way to remember is think lob. You lob a ball to somebody. L-O-B. Land. Offspring. Blessing. Think of that for a moment. And then think of the book of Esther. God promised Abraham the land. The land would be God's people, and it will be. And they're not in it right now. But you see God, some of them are, but you see God working. It will be their land. The offspring. If Haman wipes out all the Jewish people, it looks like God's plan's in jeopardy, right? God's plan could be thwarted. No way. Like Paul would say, by no means. That's not happening. The enemy will not win. We have victory. And that's what we see through here is is Esther, the book of Esther, fulfilling all these promises of God. God tells Abraham, I will be with my people. I will protect my people. God is protecting his people. He's turning things around and he's with his people. It will be preserved. His will will be done. His plan will be done. The promise of the Messiah through the seed of Abraham. If the Jewish people get wiped out, what does that do with that? God is with his people. He will protect his people. And the blessing to all, to all the world, many nations, many people through it, the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the new covenant. God's way will be done. God will make a way. That's what's happening here, and I love that. And then you look at Mordecai in this, and he's doing several things. Mordecai just strikes me as a, he's always around. He's always part of the news, the plots, the plans. He's in them. He's telling about them. And that's something he did here. He spoke up. Mordecai spoke up and he told of the plan of the enemy all throughout this book. Jesus told about the plan of the enemy. What did he tell Peter? He said, Satan plans to sift you like wheat so that your faith may fall or you may fall. Jesus told of the plans. Jesus spoke of the plans of the enemy. Mordecai spoke of the plans of the enemy. We can speak of the plans of the enemy in the world we live in. We can speak up. And talk about this world and God's plan and how God makes a way and what God's word says. And I love that. Mordecai had faith in chapter 4, verse 14. We see Mordecai's faith really come out. He says, whether it's you or not, deliverance will come for God's people. So you see Mordecai's faith there standing out in his situation, the world, world he lived in. And his firmness. We read over and over, he wouldn't bow. He wouldn't acknowledge the king and, or the enemy in his power. He, he wouldn't stand to him. He wouldn't tremble to him. The enemy didn't shake him. What the enemy wanted to do concerned him and motivated him. But it didn't shake him because of his faith. His faith ended up coming out. Our faith ends up coming out. And the enemy, what the enemy wants to do to our loved ones and our people, that can bother us. It can make us want to speak up. But we cannot be shaken because we draw on the strength of God like Esther did, like Mordecai did, fasting, recognizing human frailty, To a gracious, glorious God, I said. You know, that's just drawing God's strength. And then crown in that chapter 6. When I I read the word crown, mm -mm, brings me to point one this morning. If you have the fill-ins, feel free to fill it in. 
If not, just keep following along. But the first fill in there, point one, is our faithfulness and obedience will result in reward. And you look at Mordecai here, and I see crown. It was recorded. He wasn't rewarded. Here, things start to turn around. He's getting honored now, and more rewards going to come, as we'll see later in the book. But it starts right here. He's getting honored. And when I see this crown, I think of us and our faithfulness and us. Our, our, this, I could apply this one easy for me. It came right to me of my faithfulness, my obedience, and my reward that's coming. Being rewarded. And this crown, crown of life, crown of righteousness, crown of rejoicing, crown of glory, an incorruptible crown, an ultimate reward for faithfulness and obedience. And I look at how Mordecai starts to get rewarded here, and I think of us my brothers and sisters and me, and, the, and uh, as we turn around this morning and we go out those doors that are behind us, you know, the 180 that we do to go out those doors and how we leave here changed and different, the milestone moment. Let it be this morning. Let God convict us and change us and see the power of His Word this morning. Where can you, you'll see underneath there if you have the feeling, if you don't, you can listen to me explain it and just process this in your mind, but you'll see underneath there a word obedience. And the turnaround. Two words. Obedience and the turnaround. Think for a moment. Where could it be in your life right now that God is calling you to obedience? Faithfulness? Maybe you're just struggling somewhere. Health? A loved one? A job? Your family? It's tough. There's tough times. It's not easy as a Christian. It's not easy in this world. So spend this moment right here. You know, we walk in these doors and we worship and praise God, and we want to draw, we want to know Him better and leave here changed. I pray, I pray that we will, we will have that conviction and answer to it this morning. Where's that at in your life? Think of your faithfulness and your obedience. What could you write, or what could you think about in that line of obedience that maybe you're getting called to do? What, the turnaround is the action. Is it's drawing a line in the sand. It's the turnaround moment, the 180, the change. What can you do of what you just thought of. The faithfulness, the obedience. What action can you take? Write that down. Keep it here in your heart. And this morning when we leave, let's go do it, you know. When I say today is the day the Lord has made on Sundays, you know, I tend to say that. It's because sometimes when th- something's repeated, it'll stick with us, you know. And maybe Wednesday, maybe when it's not Sunday and we hear the words today is the day, maybe Wednesday when somebody in here wakes up and it's tough times, they'll remember today is the day the Lord has made. And I can rejoice and be glad in it. That's why it says it's not just for Sundays. It's 24-7. It's for seven days a week for, that, for us to remember that. Absolutely. We'll pick up chapter 6, verse 12. Or I'm sorry, my bad. Well, it's going to be actually, I don't know where your Bible's set up, but it's going to be verse 14 of chapter 6, and it rolls right into chapter 7. So, while they were yet talking, and that's, that's another moment right there, keep that in your mind. While they were yet talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried to bring Haman to the feast that Esther had prepared. So the king and Haman went into feast with Queen Esther. And on the second day, as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king again said to Esther, What is your wish, Queen Esther? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom it shall be fulfilled. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it please the king, 
Let my life be granted me for my wish and my people for my request. For we have been sold. I am my people to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. If we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have been silent. For our affliction is not to be compared with the loss of the king. Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther, Who is he? And where is he who has dared, me, has dared to do this? And Esther said, A foe, an enemy, this wicked Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and queen. When it rains, it pours, don't it? While they were yet talking. When things turn around, sometimes they turn around. Haman just enters the court while they're talking. While he just heard the words, if this is a man, of, is this, if this is a, one of God's chosen, if this is God's people, a Jewish man, you will not overcome him. You will fall. And while they're yet talking, they're like, okay, come on. Let's go to the second feast now. I mean, things are, God is turning things around. What a transition in this book. And I think of us when we, when we turn around. Big difference between a roundabout and a turnabout, right? I think of a roundabout when we're picture on the street, a roundabout. You kind of get, you start going around, but you can keep going around, right? You can kind of go back, change your mind and be like, oh, I forgot, you know, I need to go back, you know. You can go roundabout. This isn't a roundabout, this is a turnabout. This is a 180 where you can't stay on. You can't turn around and go back to where you was. You're go, you have a destination and you're going there. You're turning things around and you're making a change and you're doing it. I love that. Esther, she says, in the face of the enemy... This wicked Haman, she speaks truth. And I think how things are repeated, how the king said again, said here, whenever you hear something repeated, isn't that crazy how it means something really important or something could, big could be happening? Think about it for a minute. In Scripture, and a lot of us have heard that, uh, man, every time uh, something's repeated in Scripture, pay attention. A lot of us have heard that. Boy, there is truth to that. Truly, truly. Jesus says over and over again, truly, truly. And when he says truly, truly, truly we do need to listen because it's very important, right? When God says, I will, do you know how many I wills of God there is in the Bible? Me neither. But there's a bunch of them, a bunch of them. Over and over, God says, I will, I will, I will. And it's very important and God will. Big things happen. God will do what he says he will do. Like I said, the today, the Lord repeated gets in your mind, gets in your heart. Sometimes it'll drive you nuts. I heard of a story. This is actually a very awesome story. And I don't know all the details, but I still, to me, it wasn't awesome for you. It stuck with me. But it's, there's this unbeliever, this atheist. And I, and I, like I said, I might get a couple things wrong here. So I don't, I didn't know them. I just, this kind of third-hand information. But the point will still be the point. There's this non-believer and he's, he tends to want to debate things and argue things with, this, with a Christian man that's uh, talking about God to him. He don't want to hear it. He don't believe. He don't want to hear it. If anything, he's that person we've all met that kind of just uh, cuts me off, can't get in, always has something, the debate type person, confer- a little bit confrontational, you could say, probably. Well, everything this, this non-believer would say to this Christian, he would say Hebrews 9.27, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and then comes judgment. And the, the atheist would say, the unbeliever would say something else, and he would say, and just as it is appointed man for man to die once, and then comes judgment. And over and over, he would say, he said, quit saying that. Everything I say, you say that same thing. Just quit saying that. Well, later on, 
God used that verse. And that man could not get that out of his head. It drove him nuts. It was eating him alive. And God used that verse, Hebrews 9.27, to change that man's heart. Because he heard it over and over and it stuck with him. And it changed him. How amazing is God's word? Point two in your filling this morning. We are called to speak truth even in hard times. Again, we are called to speak truth even in hard times. That Christian man I was just talking about, he was speaking truth. He was speaking the word of God. Jesus spoke truth on this earth. Spoke the word of God. Esther spoke truth even in hard times. Even in front of the enemy, she told the king, as, as, as hard as it could be, butterflies are turning. Uh, Brother Dave and I was just talking this morning about how sometimes getting up in front of people and singing or preaching. You know, you can get, get little butterflies and stuff, you know. Uh, Esther's in a situation. She's in front of the king, in front of the enemy. She speaks truth, even in hard times. Mordecai, everything he went through, like we said earlier, speak in truth. You see obedience there and the turnaround under that as well. Where can you be obedient? Where can you speak truth? Maybe it's to the person sitting beside you. Maybe they need truth spoken in their life a little bit. Maybe it's speaking the gospel of Jesus Christ, the ultimate truth, right? For us brothers and sisters. Maybe it's just telling somebody they don't want to hear, but they need to hear it. They just need to hear it. And out of love, in the right way, like we do, you need to speak it, though. Maybe it's hearing hard news. Maybe you're on the receiving end of that. What could you do? Now, in saying that, the turnaround, the action item, how do you go about doing that? What, what, what is one of the key ways to do that? Scripture. Knowing God's Word. What did that Christian say to that unbeliever, that atheist man? He said a verse. He said a piece of God's Word. Few words. Huge life impact. How much Scripture do we know? How much Scripture do we have memorized? Talking about repeating things. How much can we repeat Scripture and use that to speak truth? That's the truth, right? That's what we speak. Have Scripture at hand for all times, all cases. And then the turn is, how do you do that? Prayer, is that the first thing you need to do is pray? Do we need to get on our knees and just pray? Fast, Esther, Mordecai, the Jewish people, they fasted. Drawing from the Lord, the Lord's strength, the Lord's ways. Is that something we need to do to speak truth in hard times? Hear truth in hard times, maybe. Amazing. The Word of God is amazing. Let's move on. Chapter 7, verse 7. And here we go. It's evident. You can see it's been evident now what's going on. The turnaround, the time for a turnaround, the transition. God makes a way. God fulfills His promises. And it says, And the king arose in his wrath from the wine drinking and went into the palace garden. So the king arises there. He goes into the palace garden and watch, watch what that leads to by him going in this palace garden. But Haman stayed to beg for his life from Queen Esther, for he saw that harm was determined against him by the king. And the king returned from the palace garden to the palace where they were drinking wine, as Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was. And the king said, will he even assault the queen in my presence in my own house? As the word left the mouth of the king, again, just arriving in the outer court, as the words left their mouth, the feast, and here, as the word left the mouth of the king, they covered Haman's face. God is making a way. Things are turning around. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs and attendants on the king, said of the king, Moreover, 
The gallows that Haman has prepared for Mordecai, whose words saved the king, is standing at Haman's house, 50 cubits high. And the king said, hang him on that. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the wrath of the king abated. And when I read this, this, this last one, and we'll go ahead and fill in the last two blanks here, and then we'll just talk about God's word and, and, and the rest of this message. But let's fill these in so that we can really focus. Defeat is evident for the enemy. That's the third point, okay? And you can put defeat, you can put destruction, you can put death, because all three are true for the enemy. Defeat, death, destruction is evident for the enemy. And boy, the book of Esther, why are we doing a series on Esther? Because it's evident. It's God making a way. It's God turning things around. Defeat is evident for the enemy. And that main point, like I said towards the beginning, God will fulfill his promises. What does that put on your heart? When you think of you in this life, have you ever been able just to be, be free? And not the freedom that the world thinks of. Sometimes we're free to do whatever you want. But have you ever just had that great sense of joy and peace in you, of freedom, of free to do what Christ wants in the world we live in? It's like you playing a game. It'd be like you doing an activity, and you already know the outcome. If you're playing in a sport or doing whatever you may do, and you already know the end, you already know the outcome, how are you going to compete? You are going to compete free. You're going to compete confident. You're going to do whatever. Because you know what's going to happen. You know what's going to be on the scoreboard. And obviously this isn't a game, but to make that illustration, make an analogy, some of the same thoughts can, be in, can happen and be in place that are still true. We know the enemy. We know, we know defeat is coming. It's clear. God makes a way. God turns things around and it's going to happen. So how do we go? How do we go in this world and how do we act and what do we do? We all get fear. We all lack courage. We're human beings. But how do we respond? We talk about all these points this morning. Faithfulness, obedience, speaking truth in hard times. Think of all that and how that goes with this and turning things around. Or continuing. You know, it's not good. Sometimes you say turn around and somebody could be thinking, well, I, you know, I, I feel like I have a lot of faith and I am obedient. And that's great. That's great. This isn't saying that we're all doing nothing and repent and walk out the doors and get it right, people. That's not what this is saying. This is saying we can always grow. We can always mature. We do try to be obedient. God knows our hearts. What we can do, what we can all agree to, is we can mature. We want change in our heart. We want growth. I think everybody in here right now, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you would agree you're not done. You would agree you want growth. You want maturity. You want to impact. We want these things. Now it's just a matter of response the obedience, the turnaround. And that defeat is evident for the enemy, that obedience line. What could your obedience be to that? Knowing that you know the outcome, you know the victory. How does that motivate you? Is it joy? Do you lack joy in your life maybe? Are you, are you a person that just means, you know, I, I, I do get depressed a lot. I have a lot of depression. I believe in Jesus Christ, but man, I, I have a lot of depression. Because we face that sometimes. Is it lack of courage, fear of what somebody might think of you? I remember the first time I got up here to preach. I'll be honest, I, th- I did think, hmm, this could be a one-timer. <laughs> you know, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what they're going to think, you know. And then I thought, you know what? It's what God thinks. 
You know, it's what God thinks, you know, just being obedient to God, stepping out in faith, you know, defeat is evident for the enemy. I know my outcome, so I'm free. I'm free to do what God wants me to do, and so are you, and we just need to do that. Maybe that's the obedience, and then the turnaround is like Nike, right? Just do it. We just do it. Sometimes you don't overthink it. You go to God. You go to God, you draw the strength, and you just, you fight, you compete. Use your training, use your skill, use your knowledge. How great is our God? And all through this, you notice another thing you can draw from Esther is, boy, can we put big smiles on our face that God loves us. God desires His people. Esther said, we could all write this verse that we read earlier. It says, it's verse 3 in chapter 7. It says, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be granted me for my wish. Man, we could write those words, right? As believers in Jesus Christ, we have been granted life because we have found favor with the king. Those, that, that simple phrase, right? I've read that and I was just like, wow, I have been granted life. O king, I have been granted life. The ultimate wish I could have. Because you delight in your people. You love me. How amazing is our God. And the other thing, Satan's plan and God's plan. Check that out through this book. If you just made a list of Satan's plan and God's plan through this book of, book of Esther, how powerful is our God? Satan's plan was hanging Mordecai. God's plan was honoring Mordecai. Satan's plan was Zeresh, his wife. God's plan was Mordecai. Satan's plan is Haman, right? Satan's plan, Satan, Satan has his, he, use Haman, get rid of the Jews, wipe them out. He wanted to defeat God's plan, God's purpose, the seed, the promises. No way. God's plan was Esther. Satan's plan was an edict that was going to be delivered to deliver destruction to the Jews. God's plan was insomnia that would deliver a verdict of deliverance for the Jews. Satan's plan was a noose. God's plan was nails. Satan's plan was gallows. And God's plan was a cross and sending His Son, Jesus Christ. And as we close this morning, I came across this little phrase called tat. No, I didn't try to say that. It's really, it's tat, T-A-T. And in the shipping industry, it's used for turnaround time. T-A-T, turnaround time, just like the title of our message. And what it means is a, a vessel will leave its, its, its original point and it will be set to a, sent to a place for a specific time, a specific place for a specific purpose with specific goods. And when that ship, when that vessel gets to that destination that it's there for on time, with a plan, with a purpose, with the goods. The good news. You might see where I'm going with this. We have, some, we have the good news with us. Yeah, that vessel unloads while it's there. Get it all unloaded. You ever heard the phrase, I left it all on the floor? Somebody does a sport, they're like, oh, I left it all on the floor. What does that mean? It means they gave it everything they had, right? They wanted to put everything they had into it and leave it all on the floor. Well, that vessel unloads all of its goods, and it's ready. It's ready to go home. When it's time, it's ready to go home. 
It's tap, brothers and sisters. It's turnaround time. We are vessels used by God. We're here for a specific purpose. This specific time, this specific place, we need to unload everything we got. We unload. Deliver the gospel. Deliver the good news. Love people. Love like Jesus. Do the 180. No roundabout. We all got to turn around to go out those doors this morning. We all turn around and greeted each other this morning. As we turn around this morning, let's go out into this world. Pray for increased faithfulness, obedience. Speak truth even in hard times. We know what's coming. It's evident through Esther. And if you ever wonder why Esther's in this Bible, I hope God has put it on your heart this morning that now you have several examples. It's time for a turnaround. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.